0: This is another in-depth episode from your friends at Butterfly. And our guest in this episode is InstaFamous.
1: I am Katie Parrott. By day, I am a policy officer in the Tasmanian government and the rest of my time, I am a plus-size fashion influencer on Instagram and a body activist.
0: Katie joined us late in 2021 for our episode called What Does an Eating Disorder Look Like to You?, where we went into depth into how eating disorders hide in plain sight. and You can't tell if someone has an eating disorder by the way that they looked. If you haven't had a listen, please go back and check it out.
1: I use my space online to normalise different looking bodies, diverse bodies, to open up the door to talk about uh, fat phobia, to talk about mental health, um, and just to talk about whatever I want.
0: So we sat down with Katie to talk about whatever it is that she wants as well as her mission to change the way that people in larger bodies are seen not just online but everywhere. She uses her platform primarily on Instagram to influence greater body acceptance. She also posts about fashion, food, books, social justice and a bunch of the usual things people post on Instagram but she's unashamedly authentic and she's really really popular.
1: A note for me is that I I self-describe myself as fat. Um, That, for me, is a value-neutral descriptor. And um, I know it's not for everybody, but that's how I refer to myself. And Sam, you're welcome to refer to me that way as well.
0: Look, I can't tell you how helpful it is to so many people that you're so enthusiastically fat positive. Because that thin white ideal really does cause so much distress and like body dissatisfaction for the many, many people who just don't fit it. Like, the pressure to be small and fit in is really intense.
1: I'm lucky that I'm really supported by the people around me. My friends are really supportive and they really, like, take it in stride, changing their behaviours and acknowledging their behaviours and trying to learn and trying to be good advocates in their personal lives when I'm not there.
0: It wasn't always like this for Katie. She wasn't always immune to the pressures and she struggled with her shape and size earlier on and this manifested as an eating disorder. But at the time... She had no idea because she didn't fit what she thought was the stereotype.
1: I didn't know I had an eating disorder until quite a few years into recovery for it. Um, I was in an environment at university where I was um, smaller than I am now, funnily enough, but I was definitely a lot larger than everybody that I lived with in residence And the environment was one where um, it just felt like what I should be doing. And I had a lot of internalised fat phobia. And I, you know, went off on this, you know, I'm doing air quotes here, journey. Um, And not only did I not get any help, I was never once ever pulled up on any of my behaviours. No one ever asked if I was okay. Like, I got nothing but congratulations because I was a fat person losing weight um and it wasn't until like uh, legitimately probably three two three years after I left that environment and I was already uh some somehow I would kind of stumbled into a recovery which I feel very lucky about because that doesn't really happen to most people um it was only then that I realized oh like all of those things I was doing if you just if you wrote them down without knowing what I looked like anybody would say that was an eating disorder but if you put at the top, (laughs) then suddenly none of those things count and none of those things matter. Um, So to me, it was not only that I didn't feel like I could access help, it was that I didn't know I needed help.
0: Being the person that you are now as an influencer, somebody who is on social media a lot, very publicly with a lot of followers, can you tell us what sort of stigma still exists? And I think I guess you are probably better placed than anyone else to tell us what sort of stigma still exists
1: I mean, the stigma just is everywhere and and once you know what you're looking at, it is really hard to not see it everywhere um, because it is in the way that people talk about you doing totally normal things. Like I will post pictures at the beach and people will be like, you're such an inspiration, you're so brave. And I'm like, I'm not really. It's just hot and I want to go for a swim. Like it's not um, – <laughs> there's nothing brave about it. And people aren't consciously—they don't realize that that's a kind of a shitty thing to say. But it—but it is. I mean, it is. And then there's also all the overt stigma that you receive being publicly fat on the internet. Um, because I'm just told that I'm disgusting, like probably once a week by like random strangers, and I'm like, "All right." And <laughs> what proof yeah. have you got? None. So I don't really let that that bother me. But it is difficult knowing that if I post pictures of like food, like I love sharing the food that I eat because I think that's really powerful um, and because I like food, I you know, I, I even now after many years online, I still have that momentary feeling of like, do I need to justify why I'm eating what I'm eating? Do I need to explain it to people? Do I need to say that I like haven't eaten lunch or like whatever it is? And, and I still have that, that thought and I still have that fear that someone is going to comment on it. Um, in a way that they just don't with people who are smaller so yeah it's very it's very pervasive and those are all just things those are all just the things that people say and think and that's not even getting into the like systems that are in place that stigmatize fat people so it's as my as my partner said once he started realizing all the things I experienced he was like it's everywhere and I was like yes (laughs) yes it is
0: but, I mean, you're very lucky now to have such an awesome support network around you. And honestly, how could they not? I mean, they can look at what you're doing online and I, I don't understand how people couldn't support what you're doing. It's amazing. So, Oh,
1: um, thank you. Thank you. That is,
0: well, that it's it's really, I think it really is uh, a good thing to have to have so many people around you, especially like your partner. He sounds like an absolute rock.
1: He's he pretty great, like, yeah.
0: Yeah. <laughs> So tell me about your emotional state back when you were in the midst of the eating disorder, or you know, just as it was starting to take hold.
1: Oh, shocking! Absolutely dreadful. Yeah, my emotional state was really terrible at the time, uh, sort of in the lead up to my eating disorder and during. I was living in residence in at the University of Melbourne, um, and it was just like not a good environment to be in. I mean, in some ways it was right. Like it was fun and I met a lot of my really close friends there, but it was also a really challenging environment. It's a lot of people who live very close together, um, who hook up with each other, who vote for each other to go onto committees. Like there's a lot of um, cash in being popular in being pretty in, in being, you know, whatever. Um, and I was away from my family uh, for the first time, which like I was fine, but I wasn't really. Um, so I think I was very vulnerable and I was very lonely and I was just so much bigger than all of the people that were there by like a long way. And I just, I didn't, looking back on it, I didn't know how else to survive that environment, to be honest, because I was trying to flourish around my peers. I was, I'd always felt like someone who was, who was smart and who was funny. And I, I didn't have heaps of friends, but I liked the friends that I had. And I was like, I don't know how to succeed in this environment. And I mean, with hindsight, now being completely diagnosed with both anxiety and depression, and being medicated for those, um, I was like very, very depressed, Um, and all of those things I think just consolidated into into the eating disorder, feeling like the right, well, you know, my quote unquote weight loss journey, feeling like the right way to channel my energy because um i undeniably was getting the dopamine hit from all the exercise i was doing i mean i i still love exercise and i i think that as a tangent it's actually really important to try and decouple exercise from eating disorders and from uh weight loss because like it's brilliant i i anyway i love exercise i i love exercise i really loved running i picked up running at this time and i was getting you know there were an undeniably a lot of really positive things that were coming out of that because I was getting outside. I was getting a lot of fresh air. I was um, really in touch with how my body was feeling in those moments. And yet i reflect on it because I was so out of touch with my body at the same time. Um, and that's an interesting dissonance to be holding, um, especially with hindsight. Um, but the thing that I remember the most about that is that I felt really satisfied that I was finally fitting in with these people And it just happened to correlate that I was better liked and more popular, I guess, across the next two years when I was in the depths of my eating disorder than I was in my first year where I wasn't. But I still had so much self-loathing. I mean, I look at photos of myself from that time, especially like selfies. Like I don't have that many, but, you know, I take like pictures in the mirror and stuff and my face just looks drawn and sad. And like all I remember from that time is, level of judgment I held for my body it was just really shit frankly it was really sad and I think about it now and I'm like that's really sad because I was 20 and 21 and I and I should have been um I should have been really loving that and not being held back by fear of how people were perceiving my body
0: and I know that you know when you're in that kind of environment and you're supposed to be out there having this amazing time and you're not because you're too yeah. self-conscious it's it's easy to look back though and see that as an opportunity missed but do you look back now and see that as more of a formative stage that you had to go through to get where you are now
1: uh yeah i do i i mean i wish i'd been able to do it without the eating disorder because i um you know i still carry a lot of behaviors with me and I, I just prefer not to have them frankly but it was a really important time in my life. Um, as I said, I made, made a lot of friends. I learned a lot about who I was and and the things I wanted to do with my life. Um, and so I, I don't regret, I don't, I don't, I I try not really to regret anything. Um, because I just think that I, I really like who I am now. And so I don't want to regret anything that led me to this place. I I think I just wish that somebody at the time had been able to see past my body to what I was doing to my body.
0: We are supposed to have come a long way in the last mm. uh, five to ten years. Do you think it's still difficult for people to come out and talk publicly about having eating disorders?
1: Yes. <laughs> yes, I do. I think it is really difficult. Why, why? Um, I, I, I think there are still a lot of people who fundamentally don't understand what it means. Um, and so... There's a real fear of being seen as attention-seeking, or, um, or making like behavioural decisions as opposed to those things being like unconscious and just kind of. Because I, I mean, I can't speak to everybody, but I felt like my eating disorder was happening to me, um, because the the driver for the decisions felt so subconscious, um, that like I didn't. I didn't feel like I was active. It's not like I was actively choosing it, and I think that's what a lot of people don't understand. And I think for anyone who lives in a bigger body, you still feel like you're not like legitimate, and that people are going to be like, "Well, would it hurt you to lose like a couple of kilos?" And it's like, ah, yes, it would. Uh, it would if if I'm going to do it this way. <laughs> and also, I think in a, in a perverse way, I think the recognition of like binge eating disorders and like some of the different kinds of eating disorders is really powerful. But like also I have had instances where I've talked about an eating disorder in my past and people started assuming it was a binge eating disorder. And I was like, no, no, I was like fully starving myself and they were embarrassed and I wasn't because I don't care about embarrassing people, you know. So I think there's just there's still a lot of barriers in place to people getting the support they need and to recognising and coming out and talking about it. And I hope that that changes the more that we are open and and things like this podcast and the work that Butterfly are doing, like I I hope that that changes.
0: Now it's time for me to ask you for your advice. Um, could (laughs) um, Could you tell us what advice you might have for other people who feel a bit of shame and isolation around their experience as somebody who's obviously crashed straight through that?
1: I think that there are things you can do online and there are things you can do in real life. In real life, you need to try and put in place boundaries to, for the people who aren't helping you and seek out people who can. If they're not helpful for you, feel com- confident in putting in place a boundary to maybe go see someone new. Um, or if your mum or dad or whoever is not creating, is not like helping to legitimise you, putting in place that boundary which is like I, I can't talk about to you about this um, because you're not helping me and then seeking out people who, who can trying to talk to friends or trying to seek out support networks um, that, that can help you. I think online the most powerful thing that you can do is remember that you are in control of your own social media and the media that you consume online because I think we talk a lot about, you know, algorithms and, and all of the, like, terrible stuff we see online and I try to remind people that actually you are in control of what you see online if the people that you are following on Instagram make you feel like shit about yourself, they make you delegitimize the way that you're feeling and the way that you're engaging with your body. Stop following them. <laughs> stop following them and and seek out people who who represent you, who legitimize you, who who are sharing the kinds of messages you need to be um, to be hearing. Because you are in control. That is something you are in control of. And. I find that once you teach the algorithm that you don't want to see the shit and you just want to see people who are going to be supportive and creating supportive online spaces, you can't really ever go back. Like people who talk about social media being negative, I'm like, well, I don't, I don't really relate to that because my social media is a really powerful community of people that I feel supported by um, and I, I want that for other people as well. That's awesome. How, How, was, right, that? How was that? How was that for
0: advice? Yeah, that was, that was pretty good. I like it. I loved it. Nice. Um, so we're talking about eating disorder first aid. What advice would you give to other people who suspect someone they know might be experiencing the, an eating disorder and not realise it?
1: It's difficult because it's like any mental health issue. You have to tread gently. I would, I think just like asking people if they're okay a bit more often and with a bit more genuine intent behind it. Um and being open to listen to to what they say, because people often just need the right opening to talk about what's going on. Often as a, as a friend or a loved one, um, you, can, you can create that space. And to, I guess, ask the question of people, um, you know, are, are you okay? Or calling them out when they talk about things, but in like a kind, loving way. And referring them, I guess, doing a little bit, maybe a bit of research of your own so that you feel equipped with tools like going on the butterfly website and just like asking the question of people, are you, are you going okay? Because I'm a little bit worried about you. Very few people are going to take that the wrong way. <laughs> like most people are going to take that the way it's intended. And I wish I'd had someone ask me if I was okay. Cause I wasn't.
0: It's a pretty powerful question, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Katie Parrott, thank you so very much for your time and your candor and your honesty. Really appreciate it.
1: My um, pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: For anyone who might want to put a face to the name, how how do we find you? You're on social media? Uh,
1: I am on social media. Uh, you can look for at katie underscore parrot, uh, the that's, that's the best place to find me. I'm on like TikTok and Facebook and stuff, but Instagram's where it's at.
0: If you didn't catch Katie's social media details, don't worry, they're all in the show notes. I encourage you to go and have a look at what she does. It's really amazing. And remember, help is available for anyone struggling with an eating disorder through the Butterfly Helpline on 1-800-ED-HOPE. That's one 800 If you think you're at risk or you'd just like to know a little bit more, we strongly encourage you to go and have a look at those. Start at butterfly.org.au or go to the direct links which are in the show notes. If you like this episode of The Butterfly Podcast, you might want to write a review, leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. We would really appreciate it. And remember, as always, please share it with a friend. I'm Sam Ikon. The Butterfly Podcast is an Iken Media production for Butterfly Foundation.